to the book of Song of Solomon, if you would. Song of Solomon. I gleaned some wonderful thoughts from Charles Spurgeon this week, and uh, honestly was going to head a different direction with this, but uh, Song of Solomon, and you look down with me in, uh, well, as soon as I find it, in chapter number two, if you would. <clears throat> Song of Solomon, chapter number two. And look down with me in verse number five. You've got the back and forth between Solomon and his bride, a picture of Christ and the church. And verse number five said, stay me with flagons, comfort me with apples. Again, there's, there's fruit going on here. That the flagons there are probably some sort of a, a, a raisin type thing, a, a fruit of the vine. But it says, stay me with flagons, comfort me with apples. And then the last phrase, for I am sick of love. I am sick of love. That was a picture of the love that we have for Jesus Christ. I shared with you this morning the story of Jacob standing out in that driveway. I'll be honest with you, that's just sick of love right there is what that is. That is a young guy who was just so excited that he was going to his wedding because he talks to her all of the time on the phone. I, I can't tell you how many times over the last six months He's had his earpiece in his ear, and he's walking around the building talking to her. And I'll say something, I'm going to say, hey, Jacob, we need to go set this down. He'll say, I love you. And I'm like, why are you telling me? He's like, and after, after about the fifth time, I realized he's not talking to me. He's telling her goodbye, because he'll just walk around the building talking to her all the time. I have enjoyed watching that. Uh, but can I tell you this? Young love is a thing to behold. But those of us who have been married a few years... It's got a little more depth to it, hopefully. And there's a joy that comes with it. Maybe not expressed as much, but there's a deeper feel that goes with it. This version got me thinking about that. How in love am I with my Lord Jesus Christ? And then take your Bible and go over with me to 1 John, chapter number 3, and jump down with me in verse number uh, 16. Hereby perceive we the love of God, how do we know that he loves us? Because he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? You see, this idea of the love of God is all through Scripture. And tonight, I'd like to talk to you very simply from verses number 18 through 24. We'll read those in a few minutes. But very simply from this idea, what does the love of God do in your life? In other words, the impact of a living message when you live for the love of God. Alan McGinnis shared a story about a man who impacted others by the living message of his life. He said this, In my hometown, there was an, an obscure nurseryman who died recently. His name was Hubert, and he was the shyest man that I ever met. When he talked, you could see him squirming. He'd blink his eyes rapidly, and he smiled nervously. Hubert never ran an influential service. He grew shrubs, shrubs and trees. That's just what he did. He worked with his hands, the plot of land left to him by his father. He was anything but an extrovert. Yet when Hubert died, his funeral was the largest in the history of our little town. There were so many people that they filled even the balcony of our little church. Why did such a shy man win the hearts of so many people? Simply because for all of his shyness, Hubert knew how to make friends. He had mastered the simple principles 
of caring for people. And for more than 60 years, he had put people first. Perhaps because they recognized that his generosity of spirit was an extra effort for someone so shy, people loved him back by the hundreds. Hubert's life had an impact on other people because his life was a living message of the truth of his God. He put the truth of God in action in his life. If you look with me down in verse number 18, my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. And so, and whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given to us. Aren't you grateful for the Spirit of God living in your life tonight? Let's have a word of prayer and we'll spend a few minutes looking at these verses. Father, I'm so grateful that the Holy Spirit lives in the life of each man, woman, boy, and girl that has accepted you as their personal Savior. Father, in and of ourselves, we can do nothing, and yet through the Holy Spirit, you can do an amazing work. But Father, we have to be willing to turn our lives over to you, to set aside all the wonder that this world offers, and to realize that there's a greater wonder of God living in me, using me as his tool. Father, would our church exemplify this idea of, folk, of people who are so controlled by the Spirit of God that we love everyone around us and we show your love to them. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. The focus of this per portion of 1 John <clears throat> is John trying to get us to understand that our lives are preaching a message no matter what we do or how we live, good or bad. You realize that you're a preacher too. Not just Pastor Weems and I. You preach at work. You preach at school. You preach at home. You preach in the neighborhood and even at church by the way you live, by the things that you do. Can I tell you that the society that you and I live in <clears throat> is full of words, empty words. They're put on social media all the time. They're flashed on newscasts. They are laid out. People uh, uh, say things all the time. You know, I'm praying for you. I'm thinking of you. I'm, you go over to Kroger and find the, the uh, card aisle there, and you've got all kinds of cards, you know, with sympathy. And why do we have, buy cards? Because they say things that we can't think of. You know, they say, but can I tell you this? Back in verse number 18, my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. The first principle we get from this, very simply, is a challenge to not be cheap. Talk is cheap. And can I tell you this, that living a Christian life is not easy anymore. It becomes more and more difficult. It takes more and more effort. We have to go out of our way, out of our comfort zone. Our society uh, in the South is... Uh, when I first moved down here years ago, I found it refreshing because where I had grown up at in, in Michigan, uh, things had already turned to the point where people just weren't that friendly. 
And I dare say that uh, we're getting more and more like that down here in the South. That ought never be said of a Christian that we're not friendly. It ought never be said that our acts, that our words are cheap. That our words are not backed up by our actions. That we have, don't have a love for people around us. You see, words are, are flung around so carelessly in our society. As Pastor mentioned uh, this morning about the, the incident of a uh, president, you know, being willing to fight. Our, our President Trump, you know, set, was a, he had a lot of great principles, but he let words fly so easily and words that can hurt so, so horribly. And you and I have got to show the love of God. We must stand in truth. See what it says there in verse number 18. It says, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. We've got to stand on that truth of God's word. We must stand there. But our, our actions have to back up that truth. That we believe in God and we believe in his word and we're willing to stand against that which is wrong. But we're not going to hate the people that we stand against. We're, not going, to, we're going to hate the principles. We're going to hate the actions, but not the person. We've got to love the people around us. In essence, John here is saying, talk is cheap. We're not to, to lo- talk about the love that we have for people around us and for our community and the fact that we need to reach them for the gospel and then talk badly about them in our, or, and, and to act badly in our actions. We've got to take them around the shoulder and love them. And our society is looking for that. One of the knocks on fundamental Christianity, and I don't believe it is founded well, I don't believe it's true, but one of the knocks in fundamental Christianity is that we're so full of rules that we don't love people. I believe that we do love people. I've, I know you. I know, I've seen the love that you have for, for our other church members and for people outside the church. Some, I've had people talk to me today about Bible school. and Hey, this neighbor and this person called. and Can we make a, a bend and exception? Or how, can we work this out? Why? Because they love those kids. They love the people around them. They love their neighbors. But because the perception is there that Christians are two-faced, we have to stand even taller and stronger and let people know that the love of God is there to love them. Look in the Bible and you find a, a many examples of people who loved indeed. Jesus Christ, the three Hebrew men who were willing to go into the fiery furnace. You know, it wasn't just talk. It was their actions. Daniel loved so God, God so much that he was willing to die and be thrown into the lion's den. God, we find out time after time where actions spoke louder than words. Can you imagine being Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and standing before uh, King Nebuchadnezzar and say, Oh, King, we're not careful in the way that we answer that. You know what they were saying? Our words aren't going to mean anything. Throw us in and watch our actions. And that's what you and I must stand upon is our actions. Make sure that the words are there, but the actions are there to back them up. John said that we're to love indeed. Matthew chapter 15, verse number 8, the Bible says, The people, this people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Isaiah 29, verse 13, Wherefore the Lord saith, For as much as this people draw near me with their mouth and with their lips, do honor me, but I have removed their heart far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of man. Do our actions back up our words? They need to. Edgar Guest wrote a poem entitled, The Sermon You See. I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather you walk with me than merely show me the way. The eye is a better pupil and more willing than the ear. I find find counsel is confusing, but example is always clear. Best of the preachers are men and women that live their creeds, for to see the good in action is what everyone needs. 
I can soon learn how to do it. If you let me see it done, I can watch your hands in action, but your tongue too fast may run. And the lectures you deliver may be wise and ever true, but I'd rather get my lesson by by observing what you do. For I might misunderstand you and the good advice you give, but there is no misunderstanding how you act and how you live. Today's Father's Day. Any fathers standing out there, you have raised your daughters and sons the very best of your ability. But there's always been a time where we have watched our children and we have seen in them us. And it scared us. Because we told them a thousand times the right thing to do. But they watched us do it the wrong way. And as a Christian, I must back up my words and my love for God with my actions. Solomon said, he said, I'm sick of love. Can I ask you this? Are you sick of love for your Savior? Sick with love for your Savior? And do your actions back it up? Let me give you some of the benefits of having that love and backing up your words with actions. If you jump down with me at verse number 19. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence towards God. The next three points kind of go together. And so we'll zip through them. You're going to be like, oh, Pastor Taylor's getting right through this. Because all three of these verses roll together. First of all, confidence before God. I want to have confidence before God. I want to stand before him, being able to say, Lord, as I follow what you're leading in my life, as I read your word, and you give to me the things that I ought to do, I want to be able to have confidence confidence. You, all of us that have shared the gospel have felt our heart flutter and maybe our stomach jump a couple times as we're getting ready to go to share the gospel with someone. And we, why? Because we lack confidence. What if they ask me a question that I don't know the answer to? What if they've seen me somewhere and something that I've done is going to hold them back? What if? What if? What if? Well, did you see what verse number 19 said? And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. Can I tell you, if I stand in the truth of this word, I can be confident. It's when I get out on my own. It's when I start to take my reasoning and my thought processes and I apply them to the word of God. And that is so prevalent today. Pastor Weems preached just a few weeks ago uh, on on besetting sins, you know, sins that he preaches all the time on alcohol. He preaches on things that, that in our society, people, we've had folks leave our church recently over the fact that they want a church that's fundamental, that has old-fashioned, but they want to be able to drink socially. I'm sorry, it's not in the Word of God. Amen. It's not there. You go back through over and over and over again. The only, bene- the only positive of alcohol you're going to find in uh, the New Testament, and this is stretching as far as you possibly can, where it says take a little wine for your stomach's sake. I still think that's grape juice. I think if you go through the Greek words and you will find that. But let's say, let's give them the benefit of the doubt that it's alcohol. Okay, We use alcohol in our medicines all the time as a suspension agent. The only other time that you find it positively is back in the Old Testament book of Leviticus where the Bible says that you're to pour out a drink offering unto the Lord, okay? A strong, it never says drink it, it just says pour it out there before God. But that's, those, those are the only positives that you can find in the scripture about alcohol. And yet you and I live in a society. You and I live in a Christian society. Let's put that, go that way. 
where we don't want to stand on the promises of this book. Someone asked me a question just this morning. They said, well, I was talking to an atheist, and the atheist said that, uh, that Cain was not Adam's son. I said, what do you mean he wasn't Adam's son? They said, oh yeah, they said that he was the son of the serpent. I guess the thought process is that when, that when Eve took a bite of that apple, that somehow she miraculously became impregnated with, uh, with uh, Satan's son. Okay, I'm like, I don't think I've heard that one. She said, here's the thing. I looked it up on, on Google, all right? And Google says that that's exactly what it is. I said, there's only one problem with that. That's not what the Bible says. She said, well, if you go through the genealogies there in uh, Genesis uh, 6, 7, and 8, you know, it goes from Adam to, to Seth. I said, and down, and, and Cain's not never, ever mentioned. I said, yeah, but if you go to Genesis chapter number 4, it says that Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain. I said, it doesn't get much more plain than that. Amen. But can I tell you that we live in a society, we live amongst people, who can pull out their electronics, they can pull out a computer, and they think that in 15 seconds they can have knowledge that will take down this book. You and I have to be versed in it. We have to have confidence in God's Word. We just finished the Sunday School series about, uh, about God's Word. About Listen, if I don't have confidence in this book, I have no confidence. If I can't stand upon it and say, you know what, everything in there is true, then as a Christian, I am above all men most miserable. Mm. Then notice what the Bible says about confidence. Not only are we assured before God, but verse number 20, for if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Going back with this, uh, this simple idea here, that sometimes our hearts will condemn us. We'll look back at our past and we'll say, Lord, I failed you. I did not do what you wanted. But then God says, hey, but you know what? I paid for that sin when I died on the cross. You know, 1 John chapter 1, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The psalm says he takes our sin as far as the east is from the west and gets them aside. God can cure a condemned heart, a condemning heart. Oftentimes Satan will use that condemning heart. Oh, I can't do this because I have failures in my past. Every one of us ought to raise our hand. Yes, we have sinful failures in our past. Praise God, he forgives. And his truth, according to verse number 19, hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater. His power, his strength, his ability to forgive us and to forgive our sin is greater than our condemning heart. Don't you ever let your heart say, you can't be used of God. You can't talk to that person. You can't because your, your past deeds won't ever back up your words. Those are gone. They're done. You let your deeds now, back to what we said in verse number 18 about the challenge to not be cheap. You let your deeds now back up the words that God has laid for you. And then look down to me also in verse number 21. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence towards God. Now we've got the benefit of, I've got, I've got that confidence because I've got the Holy Spirit living in my, my life, uh, not giving me that idea of a conscience, and now my heart doesn't contem- condemn me, and nothing's holding me back, and the, whole, word of God, or the Holy Spirit talks to me and says, hey, go do this, and I say, I'd like to be involved in it, I want to be involved in that activity, should I really do that? And there's nothing holding us back. Because we have a clear conscience between us and God. And at that point, we can work and we can, we can uh, do things for God that maybe we didn't have because, because of uh, a condemning heart that was holding us back. But now we've got that clear path that our God gives us, a clear path of a clear conscience. Not because of who we are, 
because of what we're doing, but because we based our actions on this word. But every one of us knows the condemning actions of living a life that is so-so as a Christian. We fight every day. I, I, I hope you don't, you don't uh, fail as much as I do. My goodness, I fail horribly. I feel like I could have written Romans where Paul says, the things that I don't want to do, I do, and the things I do want to do, I don't do. And then he sums it all up, a wretched man that I am. And that is a picture of each of us. But we have a, a, a heavenly father who says, I will forgive you over and over again if you'll just keep pushing forward and do that which is right. I can't do it through myself. I have to do it through Jesus Christ. I can have confidence before God in all kinds of situations when I based my life upon His Word. I can have confidence in danger. Psalm 27 verse 3 says, Though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. I can have, I have confidence in danger. We can have confidence in times of death. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 8, We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and be present with the Lord. We can have confidence when we're down and discouraged. Job 22, verse 29, Job pens these words. When men are cast down, then thou shalt say, there is lifting up, and he, God, shall save the humble person. Job says when you're cast down, you'll speak with confidence if you're founded upon your God. We can have confidence in doing what God, uh, in God doing what He has said He'll start in His life, Philippians chapter one verse six, being confident of this very thing that He which began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. We can be confident that God has a direction for our life, Philippians one twenty four. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy and faith. We can have confidence. In God's daily care for us. Psalm 27, 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord's the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes came upon me, eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident that my God is going to care for me every day. So we've got a confidence before God. And that confidence does not have to go away because of a condemning heart. And we're blessed because of a clear conscience when we've done that which is right. February 8th, uh, 2016 edition of Time Magazine recorded a story about Matthew Trevthick. Now, uh, he, in everything that was going on back in Iran back in 2016, and we were, you know, Iran was pushing all the borders they were and trying to get their nuclear program going, he was arrested as a suspect. He was over there actually at the, the University of Tehran uh, studying Farsi language. But uh, because he was an American, they, uh, they arrested him and uh, 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 condemned him for uh, espionage and for spying for the United States government. The 30-year-old American aid worker spent 41 days in Iran's notorious Evan prison, and 20, 28 of those days were in solitary confinement. After his timely release, he was interviewed by Time magazine and spoke not only of the dark place, but also of the hope that he found there. And the Time Magazine interviewer said, how in the world did you find hope in solitary confinement? He said, because beside the bathroom, people had scratched three phrases in Farsi, the language that I had been studying. He said, simple phrases. You can get through this. Don't ever give up. 
and nobody stays here forever. Hope exists even in the darkest of times and the darkest of places when we have a clear conscience before our God because our God has promised us he'll never leave us, he'll never forsake us. If you continue on with me down in verse number 22 and verse number 23, I'd like you to look at the next little phrase there. It says, Compliance to God's command leads to answered prayer, the joy of of answered prayer. 22, And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. We have children. We like to see them do the things that we want to. In fact, we'll help them out if they're doing the things that we want them to do. But it's when they go against our will that oftentimes either their punishment comes or else, we ha- or else they have to do it totally on their own. Well, how often have I tried to do things on my own? I prayed. Pastor mentioned that, uh, about having a prayer time at, uh, in the coming weeks for uh, th- those who are unsaved. How many times have you prayed fervently for something that down the road you figured it wasn't part of God's will? I mean, you prayed and you prayed and you wanted it really bad. And you, pr- you asked others to pray for you. And eventually you got the message from God, that's not part of my will. But here the Bible tells us in verse 22, And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing to him. When I am able to ask my God for something and my will matches with his, he can answer that prayer request. And not, what that does then is that that is an example to the people around me that I am in tune with my God's will and if I am in tune with my God's will, then people look at me and they say, why are things in your life working that way? Why do they work well? It's very simply this, because I'm doing what God wants me to. You have the, can have the same testimony because you're doing what God wants you to. It's not that hard except that it's horribly hard because I have this flesh that lives in me on a daily basis. But if I want God's blessing in my life, it's very simple. All I've got to do is follow His commandments, follow His will, do the things that, that bring Him joy. It's very simple there. It's not hard. You guys can, you can decipher that verse for yourself, verse number 22. Do, do those things that are pleasing in His sight. But it again goes back to that simple phrase in verse number 18. Let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and truth. And taking what we believe and putting it in action is very, very difficult. Success is the result of obedience. Joshua 1.8, familiar verse says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do, to do according to all that's written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Can I ask this question tonight? Why are more Christians not successful in their Christian life? If our God has promised success in our Christian life, this law, book of law shall not depart, and if we will do it, then God's going to answer our prayers, and we're, but we look at our lives and we say, you know what, I'm not very successful as a Christian. Why is that? I'll tell you why. It's because we're not doing the things that he wants us to do. We're doing too much flip-flopping back and forth. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And the lure of this world is strong. Teenagers, you think it's difficult to live for God as a teenager. Can I share this with you? It doesn't get easier. 
You can't wait and say, you know what, I'm going to serve God later in life because it'll be easier. It doesn't get any easier. In fact, if I had to be honest, I think it may be even more difficult now than when, when I was a teenager. Because you've got all kinds of youth activities and friends that you're around all the time, and if you pick the right ones, you, you have them to encourage you all the time. Whereas those of us who, I have the privilege of working here at the church, but those of you who work a secular job, you're around people all day, every day, that many of them don't love the Lord. Many of them don't talk. Any, the only time they use God's name is in vain. And you're around vulgarity all the time. And it's difficult. Because that stuff sticks in our mind. And I've got to choose to do that, which, according to verse number 22, please, is pleasing in my God's sight. Success is the result of obedience. Obedience is superior to sacrifice. First Samuel 15.22, you're familiar with that passage where Samuel confronts Saul. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Obedience is to be a significant priority in our lives. Acts 5.29, Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. And James 1.25 says that obedience brings sweet blessings in our life. But whosoever, James 1.25, but whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful here, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. And so we see that the joy of answered prayer comes simply by the fact that we are following the commandments of God. And then look, if you look down with me in verses 23 and 24, the last couple of points that we've got, <clears throat> the Bible says in verse 23, and this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him, and hereby we know that he abideth in us by the spirit which he hath given to us. Look at that simple one. First, the first commandment that we've got to follow there is simply the fact that we've got to uh, believe in Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. And if that becomes, uh, that, that becomes the first commandment, then all the rest ought to follow in line. Because I want to be involved in that. I, if I know Christ is my Savior, then I ought to want these other things. They ought to be the natural repercussions of them. All of you, um, uh, the vast majority of, of you at least, have some type of uh, hobby or some type of pastime that you get involved in. It's one of those things that uh, you, know, you start talking to somebody and you just love to do it. And the thing is, in a group this size, it, there are so many different amazing things that people like. Sometimes we just take for granted, well, everybody likes either fish, or they hunt, or they work on cars, or they, you know, they, they like to, they like to uh, tend the garden. But there's so many amazing things that I've talked to all of you through the years, things that, that we like to do. But Danny, you like to go and, don't you walk up and down riverbeds and fields and stuff looking for arrows, okay? Uh, that's not one that you read about every day, is it? All right. I've been to many of your houses and seen some of your collections and the things that you get involved in, the things that you like to do, some of the some of the obscure aspects of woodworking or maybe uh, work, uh, working on a house and trying to produce a house that's almost energy free, you know, and, and pe people do all kinds of amazing things that blow my mind. I say, I would never want to do that, but I'm glad that they're invested in those things. Why do we put so much time and effort and energy into some obscure things? Why? Because it's important to us. And if it becomes important in my life to follow the commandments of my Lord, then I'm going to invest the time and the effort and the energy that is needed in it. It has been amazing to me 
to watch how much time I can waste on useless things just because it picks my interest. And I start following it. And I say, you know what? This is useless. I'm never going to use this. But then the next thing I know, I'm reading something else about it. I can't. When following Christ picks my interest, then I'm going to invest amount, uh, uh, amazing amounts of time and effort and energy into it. And the good thing is, it's not useless. It is useful. Romans 8 9 says, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of God, he is none of his. But we said, saw there in verse number 24 that the first commandment was to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior there. He said that we should believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He gave us commandment. And so all of this boils down simply to this fact that if I'm going to make an impact on my society, I'm going to have to show the love of Christ through my life. I'm going to have to make sure that I am founded upon the principles of God's word so that I can have confidence as I talk to the people around me. So that, listen, I'm still maybe nervous. I'm not saying that I'm going to boldly walk up and it's going to change my, my personality. But if I know I'm right, I'm going to stand a little bit longer in the fight. I'm going to say one or two extra little words. I'm, going to, I'm, I'm not going to let the argument drop quite as quickly if I know I'm right. And if I have that confidence in God's word, it'll help me witness just a little bit longer. Right. It'll help me say something when maybe the, the flesh is a little bit scared. Because I have that confidence of being founded upon God's word, of a clear conscience, and knowing that I have the truth of what God's word says to back me up. I know that I'm, I'm, my actions are allowing my life to be blessed by answered prayer because I have chosen to follow the commandments of, of my God. And so I'm going to be able to pray for God to give me opportunities knowing that He will because I'm seeking for those. And in the other areas of my life, I'm giving that to Him and saying, Lord, I'm doing the very best I can. And by Your grace and with Your help, I'll do even better. I want to honor and glorify You. I want to challenge all of us that, we, ha- that we, can, we can live out a life that is impactful because of the living message. But can I share this thought with you before we leave? There was a story years ago in a magazine about Gail White who wrote about an exchange that she had with her husband that all of you ladies are going to shake your head about. She came down with the flu and she needed some housekeeping uh, that, that she wasn't able to do because she was sick. So she tried a little reverse psychology on her husband. With a sickly voice, she said, Honey, I'm sorry. I'm leaving you with such a mess. The laundry needs to be done. The dishes need washed. And the floors need to be cleaned. Then as only a guy can, he sympathetically responded, Don't you worry, honey. It can wait till you feel up to it. (laughs) Can I tell you this? That when it comes to reaching other people, sometimes we have that same attitude. Lord, you'll find somebody else to do it. Lord, somebody else will draw closer to you and you'll use them in a mighty way. That husband didn't get the message that his wife needed help. Sometimes I'm hard-headed enough that I don't get the message that God wants me to live a life that he can use. He wants me. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, what 
Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, in the last phrase of that verse, and ye are not your own. May God help us to live a life that is a living message to the folks around us that shows Jesus Christ. Can I simply say this? Our world is becoming darker and darker. It doesn't take much light to affect, but it does take more boldness. I had a flashlight that every night I go down and lock the chickens in the pen because otherwise they would be dead in the morning. Dog goes with me. Piper runs down to, to the chicken pen with me. As soon as I let that, she just takes off. I had a flashlight that I've been using for the last few months. It was a nice, bright LED flashlight. One of those cool ones, you can click it, and you, first it turns on the straight beam, and then you click it again, it's got like a nice glow on the outside, and you click it again, it's got like a green glow that doesn't take as much. I mean, it just clicks all through these. And I've been using it, like I said, for the last two or three months since the weather's gotten nice. I finally started to realize, you know, I don't think I can see quite as far as I could with that flashlight. But it didn't bother me because I had the dog with me, and so if there was any animals down there, she'd always bark and get them. But last week, it got to the point where, man, I really think that flashlight's a little bit dimmer. You know, I don't think it's quite showing. And so I popped it open, and it took four uh, AAA batteries, and I took those batteries out and went around the house and uh, found four new ones. I had to pull them out of some remotes and things like that. And when I walked outside and clicked that thing on, my goodness, I was like, yeah, that's what a flashlight's supposed to do right there. I find in my Christian life the same thing. That it's not a quick where the light doesn't turn on. It's just that world gets to me every day. And little by little, my brightness of Jesus Christ that ought to shine through my life does not shine nearly as brightly. And pretty soon I'm days and months and weeks down the road. And because the change has been so gradual, the question is, oh, am I just not as close to God or am I just kind of feeling weird today? Am I just not having as many conversations with people or is that just all of my thought process? Listen, I ought to be living a life that my actions back up the message that I proclaim about Jesus Christ. I ought to be reaching people for him, living in a life. It's not that difficult, but at the same time, it's very difficult because it takes effort. And I can't do it in my own strength. I have to rely on my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We get weak. We get weary, and we say, Lord, I just can't do one more thing. That's okay. It's at that weak point where he says, you can do all things because Christ will strengthen you. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we're grateful for your goodness to us. Father, when my body gets weary, when my mind gets tired, when I just don't want to do that which is right because it's just too difficult, I'm so grateful that I can rest in your promises. Father, that Christ will carry me through. That I still must back up my words with actions. Father, help me to rest in the truth of your word so that my heart will not condemn me, but that your word will give me assurance that that which I'm doing is right. Lord, may I seek to do the things that are pleasing in your sight so that my prayers won't go unanswered.
Father, that I might pray for things that are according to your will, that you would reach people through me and through the lives of the folks here at First Baptist Church of Atoka. Father, that we would know that the Spirit of God abides in us because you've given that to us to give us the strength to be a testimony for you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. If you'd all stand with me. Let's take our psalm books, number 548. Number 548. We show our love to Christ, not with cheap words, but with our actions. Number 548, more love to thee. Let's just sing the first verse or two. If the Lord has pressed upon your heart the need for uh, you to have a stronger testimony to draw back to him. Uh, he, the Bible says that if we, if we draw nigh to him, he'll draw nigh to us. He's never left. The altar's open, but right there in your seat, I would encourage you, just bow your head, just ask the Lord to draw you back to him. Say, Lord, I'm going to step back to you, and I know that as I do that, you'll draw nigh to me.